If you have a Bible, turn it to a little book in the Old Testament. It's very hard to find, so don't feel bad if you can't find it right away. It's called Haggai. We're going to go to the Minor Prophet Haggai. We're going through a series right now on the Minor Prophets. Uh, major truths from minor prophets. And so you guys can turn there. Book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter 2. We'll see if I can even find it myself. It's right before uh, Zechariah. So Zechariah, we're also going to be turning there in a little bit too. So today we get two prophets for the price of one, you guys. This is, we'll see how this goes. Okay. All right. Um, I was hanging out with some of my friends a couple weeks ago, some uh, long-term friends that we've had uh, for many years. Uh, my one friend Priska and I, we go back um, to kind of our early college days and uh, we were in a theater program together. So we were studying theater and doing plays and um, acting. And it, guys, uh, doing theater is super fun and super weird, okay? It's like the weirdest group of people you've ever ever been around. So we were just reminiscing about all the good old days in the theater program and uh, how much fun we had, um, all these, you know, crazy things that happened, uh, weird things people said, and um, uh, we were just having such a great time. And it was, it was cool because uh, she remembered things that I had totally forgotten about, and I remembered things she forgot about. And we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, when you're, when you're doing that together with your friends and you're looking back at the good old days. Um, it can be so much fun, right? But as you're doing that, I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced this, as I'm doing that, I'm, uh, all of a sudden there's like this, this depressing feeling that comes over me, like, oh, yeah, those days are over. Uh, the, the good old days have passed, right? The glory days are gone. Um, I myself personally, just a personal note here, I have often struggled actually with nostalgia. I like to look back a lot. I don't know if you're like me. I, I like to look back sometimes in not a great way. And uh, so this started really young for me. When I was about 12 years old, uh, I was running up the, I was at my friend's house and I'm running up the stairs and I had this profound like depressing moment where I realized my childhood is over. I was 12 years old. Like I'm not, a I'm not a kid anymore. And I'm looking back and I'm wishing I could go back and relive these days. You guys, I was 12, okay? I was 12 and already I thought my best days were behind me, right? You know, it doesn't matter what age you are, you can, you can experience that, right? You can experience this kind of sense of like, oh man, there's nothing good ahead. Everything, everything, the best is gone. Um, the glory days are over. You know, there's a reason we might uh, particularly feel this way in our lives today. We, we kind of marinate in a uh, culture around us that uh, glorifies youth, okay? So what I'm not talking about there is that we don't care about youth, okay? We have Pastor John here. He's watching me. So, um, no, we love youth. We love youth. We, I profoundly, we profoundly care about the next generation. But what I mean is, it's this glorification of youth as the prime of your life. And so when those days are over, I mean, your, your life's just downhill, right? It's like, it's just, there's nothing good to come. Um, so we're, we're marinating in a, in a culture like that, right? You guys can just see it on commercials, right? It's like we, we exalt people, 
We want to listen to people who are young and beautiful and on the Maybelline commercial, you know. Um, we, we have this term we throw around now. If you know, I don't know if you've heard this term, adulting. Have you guys heard this term people use? Oh, we're adulting now. So, you know, when we were young, like those were great days. And then we became adults. And it was just like, ah, adulting's hard, right? People say this now. It's kind of a new term. But it's, again, this sense that the best is behind us. The best is behind us. I want you to think about this in the realm of your faith, in the realm of church. Maybe you've wondered if the best that God had going in your life is over. Uh, the glory days of your walk with God, the glory days of maybe ministry you've done in the past that was really great. It, it feels over and it's a little sad, maybe depressing. What's at stake when we find ourselves starting to think this way, looking back all the time, is we can kind of settle into this deep apathy this, this, this deep kind of sense that, man, there's nothing, there's nothing good to come. Why, why serve in the church? Like, why read my Bible? Why pray? God's just going to do whatever he wants anyway, right? You know, we, we get into these weird ideas. Why share the gospel? Uh, the monastics, the monks, the Christian monks, they used to have this different term. Uh, they called it acedia. Class, can you say acedia? Okay. Sorry, I do that with kids all the time, so I don't mean to patronize you. Um, acedia was a term, basically it means this. It means a failure to care. A failure to care. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, I could do that thing. Uh, you just don't care. You don't care. You don't want to. Why bother? Uh, an author named J.L. Agin, he, he uh, described the experience of acedia this way. He called it the noonday demon, okay? It's that moment in the day when you just want to watch Netflix. He says, The diverse experiences of acedia are easy to recognize in contemporary settings. Acedia can begin as boredom, a long, slow day that makes the sufferer think ahead to all the long, slow days ahead, endlessly in front of him. It may arise as a grass is greener fantasy about a different town or job or marriage. It can also come as a one-two punch. After an experience of spiritual failure, the sufferer doubts that any of his efforts have made a difference in his spiritual life. Maybe it isn't worth the work, he thinks. Acedia hurls thoughts like these at its victims in a strategic effort to get them to stop pursuing their spiritual vocations. You guys, there's an enemy behind all these thoughts, right? wanting to get you to think this stuff about life, about yourself. If you can relate to this feeling, uh, apathy, depression, acedia, as it relates to your spiritual life, the work of God's kingdom, then you're going to be helped this morning by these two minor prophets that we're going to look at, Haggai and Zechariah. They're going to help us, uh, shake us out of our apathy a little bit and uh, give us hope. They're going to give us hope. So let me tell you a little bit about these guys, Haggai and Zechariah. Um, they are referred to, uh, so there's a lot of uh, prophet books in the Old Testament. A lot of them just seem kind of like, wow, who were these guys? There's a whole collection of names. Haggai and Zechariah, they uh, lived uh, at the same time. They are considered post-exilic prophets. So what that means is they lived 
post-exile, so after the exile. So uh, Israel, back in the day, had gone into exile in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar came and, and took them into Babylon, for, and they were there for 70 years. Uh, just to give you a little background to kind of how that happened, um, you guys remember the story of Moses and the Exodus and how God brought his people out of Egypt. I mean, a lot of people know that story. People even who don't go to church know that story. Maybe they watch the Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments on television or something like that. We know that story, the Exodus. But what we often forget about is the exile, which comes later. So the, the Exodus is God's people coming out of slavery and they're promised to go where? Promised land. They're promised to go into the promised land, but as they are heading that way, of course, they fail and they fail and they fail. And God is gracious. He's gracious. He's patient. And then he starts to warn them. He starts to say, hey, you know, when you get there, um, if you're unfaithful, uh, you're going to go into exile. And there's tons of warnings about this all throughout. So they get in. They're unfaithful. He doesn't put them into exile. He, he shows mercy, he shows mercy, he shows mercy, he shows mercy, he shows mercy. Judges, kings, he, he finally he sends these prophets because the kings are unfaithful. He's like, guys, you got to turn around. And when you read the prophets, you're kind of like, man, it's a, little, it's a little heavy, you know? It's a lot of judgment. But the whole point is God wants them to turn. He, he's, he's patient with them. Turn around because you're going to go into exile and eventually they just don't listen and that's exactly what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in from the north. He takes them into exile, destroys their temple, destroys Jerusalem. Some of the people are left. Many of them go away to Babylon and they're there for 70 years. Eventually, God judges Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Persia, the kingdom of Persia takes over Babylon. King Cyrus then allows the people to return to their home. They get to go home. Uh, God gives them favor with the king. And so the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bible, it was actually one book in the Hebrew Bible originally. Ezra and Nehemiah tells a story of the return back home. And it happens in three waves, okay? There's sort of three movements of people who go back to Jerusalem. The first movement is what we're going to look at. And it was led by this guy named Zerubbabel, which is a great name to name your children, okay? Zerubbabel. Uh, he was the governor and there was another guy named Joshua. It's an easier name. Uh, the high priest. Now think of that name, Joshua. Okay, Zerubbabel, Joshua. They're heading back and they're leading a new exodus, right? It's just like Moses and Joshua did. They're, they're, they're leaving the land and they're going back home. And they have a job and their job is to rebuild the temple. So they do. They, they get to work right away. They start rebuilding. They build the foundation of the temple. And, you know, they're about to have this big celebration. A bunch of the younger people are like, yeah, this is awesome. And the older folks go, oh, this is kind of lame. This is not what I remember the temple looking like. Uh, Solomon's temple was gold and it was awesome. And, whoa, this is not very encouraging, you guys, and they're upset. Um, and then they meet opposition. People come against them and tell them to stop the work, and they force them to stop the work, and so they stop. But then as the years go on, the people just become apathetic, and they start to look back like, man, our forefathers, they lived in the glory days. These days are kind of not great, and they start to romanticize the past 
And they stay busy. They peer around their own house. They do some home renovations. They fix up their gardens. So they're not like doing nothing. But they stop prioritizing God at the center of their life. They stopped focusing on the work of the kingdom. And so the Lord sends two prophets to them. Here's what it says in Ezra 5. It says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, arose. And they began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So I don't know about you, but I'm like, what did they say? <laughs> What did Haggai and Zechariah say to these people to get them going again? Well, let's look at that, okay? We're, we're not going to look at the, the whole book of Haggai and Zechariah, but we're going to sum up their basic messages. So Haggai is a really short book, okay? It's two chapters. Haggai is like right to the point. He's the only prophet in the Old Testament that doesn't write in poetry. So like people love, you should love Haggai, okay? He's really to the point. You can understand what he's saying. Uh, Zechariah chose a very different style of writing. He, um, it was a much longer book, and God gave him visions. And so he wrote them down in what they call apocalyptic literature. It's much like the book of Revelation. So it's full of sim symbols and uh, mythical uh, dreams and creatures and stuff like that. And it's kind of strange. Um, but it's, they're, they're both encouraging books when you really understand their message. So these two guys, we're going to look at what their basic message is. And the question we want to ask is, what did they say to Israel to sh shake them out of their apathy, to give them hope, to get them active again in the kingdom? So let's look at Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. There's Haggai's message. So, what was his message? Let's sum it up. Haggai wants to remind these people, the glory days, they're not behind you. They're ahead of you. 
You guys are ahead of you. There's some things that remain true. They remain real after this exile. God's spirit remains in our midst. He says in verse 5, God's glory remains. And in fact, his glory, which his glory is his, the visible manifestation of his presence, it's going to be seen greater in the future, not lesser. Haggai says, in a little while, God's going to do something earth-shaking and a greater glory is coming. And this reality that God's spirit is with them and that God's glory is ahead of them inspires the prophet to give them a command. He says, be strong, work, get going. You see, the people, they grew apathetic, right? Not just about life in general, right? Again, they were building their houses. They were doing stuff. It was about the kingdom. They were apathetic about the kingdom. 20 years have passed. So this isn't like, uh, hey, if you have a, a, a tired day, you know, once in a while, like God wants you to rest, okay? Just so you know, he wants you to rest. But it's like 20 years, okay? And they haven't been working for the kingdom. They're looking back and they're just pining for the good old days, the, the glory days of Solomon's temple. In verse 3, it says that when they look at the work they are doing, they're like, ah, it's nothing. It's nothing in our eyes. Well, their apathy didn't stop the work. It's their apathy that is continuing to not get them to restart it. So you see, when we believe that God, what we believe about God, what we believe that he's doing in the world, that determines our actions. What we believe God is like and what he's doing, that determines how we act. Our work today is a, is a different work. It's a different temple today. The New Testament tells us there's a new place where God lives today by his spirit. It's his people. It's in us as followers of Jesus. The temple work that we call the kingdom of God work, it's the work in our own hearts. It's the work of the church. That's what it is. And if we in the church today believe that God is sort of, you know, kind of done with us, the glory days of our spiritual life personally and the church ministry that we're part of have passed, we will grow apathetic, you guys, about the things of God. We will busy ourselves with our interests and our hobbies. We'll fail to take hold of the kingdom. That generation could not have imagined what was coming. See, right on the horizon for them was an earth-shaking event. It was the coming of Jesus. Jesus came, and in John 1.14, it says, Jesus tabernacled among us. He templed among us. Jesus referred to himself as the temple. He was the very presence of God in human form. Through him, salvation would come to all people. The offer to all people. Guys, think about this. God became like one of us. He became human. And even though the temple the people were building in Zerubbabel's time, it, it wouldn't last. Zerubbabel's temple, they eventually finished it and it didn't last. It crumbled and, and another temple, Herod erected another temple and it didn't last either. 
But that wasn't the point. The point was God was still in their midst. He still was working. He still wanted them to work and to do his kingdom work because it was going to speed ahead to this coming of the Messiah. It's the same for us. You know, we, we've gone through our own little mini exile, right? This last year, through this, this time. And, and it, one of the prime concerns a lot of church leaders are kind of talking about is that they're noticing in their congregations, there's this kind of apathy, you know, that we all felt probably this last year and maybe still feel. And it's not just, it's not just you guys, it's leaders. We feel apathetic as well. A failure to care. So Haggai's message is relevant for us. And not only that, but verse 6, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, he takes verse 6 and he applies it to Jesus' second coming. So this is relevant for us. Jesus is still coming for us, you guys. The glory is still ahead. The best is yet to come. So we need to get busy and working in God's kingdom. And I, I just want to apply that to us in two ways, okay? So let's think about the words spirit and glory in our passage. Spirit, let's, let's start with that. All of us have been given spiritual gifts in the church, in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, God has given you a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ and to spread his kingdom. It's not just something he gives leaders. He gives it to all of you. Each of you have a different gift. They're all needed. Some of you have a gift of leadership. Be strong and lead. Some of you are helpers. You like to support and come alongside. Be strong. Start serving and helping. Some of you are encouragers. Be strong. Encourage those around you. Some of you have gifts of compassion. Be strong. Serve the poor and the weak and the needy and those who are broken. Some of you have gifts of teaching. Be strong. Get engaged in teaching. Guys, we got soccer camp coming up. There's a lot of roles needed. You don't have to be a kid person. By the way, Jesus was a kid person, okay? So you want to be like Jesus? You should become a kid person. There's roles in youth. There's roles all over. Uh, how long have we been looking for a tech person, Eldon? <laughs> it's been like years, okay, you guys? It's been years. Uh, we, 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 we all have a part to play. You're all needed in the work of the kingdom. The work of the church is not limited to these gatherings, though. It's not limited to just within these walls. But I would say this, nine times out of ten, the people who learn to serve at their local church will also do that in other contexts, at their homes, in their places of work, in their neighborhoods. Nine times out of ten, the most engaged people in the church are also the most engaged people outside the walls of the church. That's what we have noticed as leaders. If the pastors do all the work, it's pretty lame, you guys. It's just lame if we're just doing all the work. Church is not just a service you attend. It's a community of faith you are part of. You are a critical piece to. You're gifted and you're needed. All right, let's apply this to glory. Maybe you're sitting there going, Chris, look, that sounds great but I'm retired. Emphasis on the tired. 
okay? You know what? I'm not retired. I'm just tired, okay? I'm just tired. Can I just, can I honor you for a second? Especially those of you who are maybe a little older and tired. I just want to honor you. You know, again, we talked about our culture and how we glorify youth, but the scriptures, the kingdom, God's kingdom, really glorifies people who are older. Here's what it says in Proverbs 16, 31. It says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So those gray hairs on your head, I know you don't like them. They're a crown of wisdom. They're a crown of experience, of pain, of suffering, of story. You have something to offer. God's not done with you yet. You're here for a reason. Be strong. Stay active in the kingdom. Uh, me and John here, um, we, lo- we loved hanging out with uh, this lady at our Chilliwack campus. Her name's Mary Petker. She just passed away last year. She was 96. Mary would come over to the church every Friday and fold bulletins for like years. And um, she would tell us constantly. She'd say, I pray for you guys every day. She's a prayer warrior. She'd say, I don't know why God has me here, but he does. (laughs) She just stayed faithful. She stayed active. She knew the glory was ahead. She made very good borscht. Yes. We have that on footage, actually. Uh, I want to tell you about a couple other uh, people that I used to do ministry with. They did camps with us. We were doing kids' camps, and there was this older couple at this... Uh, a, a church I was at years ago and John, his, his name was John and, and Florence and Florence walked like this you guys like she just like could barely walk she, she was hunched over and John like he had hip surgery and so he's just walking like this and they were like there every day for summer camp to just be there to encourage kids to pray over them to do memory verse stuff with them whatever again this is not another plug for kids ministry I'm just saying they were active. They were active in the kingdom. God's glory isn't behind us, you guys. It's in front of us. Jesus is going to come back. The work you do matters. The suffering you've gone through, Jesus is going to make it right. All right, let's look at Zechariah. One more prophet. Zechariah, all you have to do is like flip over the next page in your Bible. So he's like right next to Haggai. So that's really, I, I try to make it easy on us, you guys. So Zechariah chapter one. Um, a couple years ago, uh, my, my, it was a number of years ago now, almost 20 years ago, my, my brother and I and a friend and, and our parents, we were going to take this long road trip out to Alberta. So we had borrowed this tent trailer and hooked it up to my brother's truck, and he was very confident we would handle this tent trailer just fine. It was his first time doing this, and so we like took off from Chilliwack, and we're heading out toward like Agassiz area, and um, uh, we got delayed already in the parking lot because Steve had no idea how to uh, drive with a tent trailer on the back of his truck, it turns out, and so um, so we're heading out, and, and I'm in the back of the truck, and I look back, and I notice that the trailer is sort of slanted. I'm like, but gee, that looks a little strange. Uh, guys, do you think there's something wrong? So we pull over and sure enough, like one of the wheels had just gone clean off on this trailer. So we're like, oh no. Uh, so we pull over and um, 
you know, my dad and my mom and a friend, they were in another car ahead of us in a rental car and they're gone. Like we have no cell phones to call them. So we're just like, no, they're wondering where we are. We don't know what to do. Eventually my dad figures it out. He comes back, he helps us. It's hours go by, right? Hours go by. We finally fix this thing. We got not very far that day. The next day we check the tire again. Okay, we head out. We get to another town. We get all the way up to Jasper, okay? We have lunch. We check the tire again. Everything's great. And then we leave Jasper, and about 30 minutes down the road, I look back again. I go, do you know that that 10 trail is kind of slanted again, you guys? <laughs> wheel, clean off again. All these people are like, hey, we saw your wheel back there. Looking back, you know, looking back, I could tell something was a little off. And Zachariah... That's what he's going to do for us. He, he's going to look back and tell that something's off. See, Haggai, he's moving us forward, right? Haggai's like, hey, you guys need to, you need to get working. Zechariah, he's the guy who's like, wait, uh, I want to correct you guys on something about the way you're looking back. I want to point something out to you. So here's what he says. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Okay, let me just pause for a sec. Remember, they, they think their forefathers are really awesome. <laughs> they, that's the golden era, right? That's the, the glory days. And he says, actually, guys, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. You're remembering this wrong. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So the people repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So they reckoned with the past. See, they were romanticizing the past. Zechariah is not content for them to just do that and just forget. He's like, no, no, I want to I correct this in you guys. You're remembering this wrong. You're remembering only the good and none of the bad. Like it's tempting for us to do that, but it's, it's an untrue history. He says, you remember your forefathers, those guys you think were so great. He's like, God was angry with them. They disobeyed God's word. They practiced evil sacrifice their children. They were a generation who said they followed God. They, did, they said they followed God, but they didn't walk in His ways. They didn't listen. They didn't live their lives under the authority of God's Word. So Zechariah says, the Word of God has outlasted that generation. They, they, they in their ways didn't last. God's Word has lasted. So he tells the people to return to Him. Return to me. This is your chance, guys. Don't keep looking back. Here's your chance. Return to me. I will return to you. 
Return to me. Return to my word. See, Zechariah is dealing with people who they're looking and they're idolizing the past, the outward appearance of the past. They're neglecting to learn from the mistakes of their ancestors who didn't live under the authority of the word. Now, one of the challenges we have today with this is that um, if we want to live under the authority of the word, a lot of people today, though, are struggling to um, believe the word. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's lots of people who are reading the word. They're engaging in the word. But it's actually causing faith crisis for them. It's causing a doubt, doubts for them while, while they're reading it. They're struggling with it. I have a book on my shelf. It's a book called How Not to Read the Bible by a guy named Dan Kimball. And it's a book where he's trying to help people understand how they should read the Bible because people are reading it and engaging with it in a wrong way. They're reading it out of context. They're misunderstanding uh, things in the Old Testament because they're not reading it in context. Uh, people go on YouTube and on blogs and they hear all these criticisms of the Bible and it starts to shake maybe our confidence in the scriptures. So look, as your pastors, guys, like we want to help you with that. Like we want to help you understand the word. If you're struggling with it, you're not alone. Modern readers struggle with the scriptures. But look, guys, I just want to say to you, after all the criticism, I've heard a lot of the criticisms. I've engaged with many, many of them. And so have many of our pastors. I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that it is God's word. Now, don't just take my word for it, but we're confident that it is the word of God when rightly understood, when rightly interpreted. Some of the critiques aren't bad, by the way. Like, it's, it's good to engage with these things, and we learn things through that process. But look, if you're struggling with that, you're not alone. We want to help you. But let's assume that's not a big issue for you. You're confident in God's word, but maybe you've just drifted from it. It's just not like in your daily practice. You're not living under its authority. And you're getting apathetic about engaging in the word of God and returning to his word. I just want to give you five quick encouragements to engage in God's word. First, study the word in context. I want to give you a really helpful thing. You guys can go on YouTube and Google something called The Bible Project. And you can watch videos that take you through every book of the Bible. It's visual. It's helpful for, for those of you who haven't engaged in it in a while, if you're looking for context. And the other thing they're going to do is they're going to help you understand that this book, it's a story. A lot of people, they read this book in bits and pieces, and they read it in the wrong way, and they misunderstand what God is saying through it. Imagine you went to a movie and, you know, you showed up halfway through. You start watching. You're going to be like, wow, who's that guy? What's that guy? Why is he doing that? And then you go and you have another break in the bathroom. And then you come back 10 minutes later. And you go, oh, what's, okay, what's happening now? Who's, you're going to have so many questions because you just simply haven't understood the story. So go to Bible Project. They'll help you with that, okay? If you want to, like, have a, a quick kind of matrix, kind of like, you know, the matrix where he, he plugs them in and then he's like, okay, I know Kung Fu in like 30 seconds. Okay, if you want that, go to the Bible Project, okay? Second thing, when you read the Word, listen to it. 
It's easy to just read it and not hear it. Spend the time to hear it. It's God talking to you. Third, meditate on it. Meditation is like super important. And meditation is filling your mind with the word and then just like running it over in your, it's like chewing on it. Oh, what is he trying to say there? Some, some passages in the Bible are really tricky. You got to meditate on it. Ask the Lord for help, which leads to the fourth thing, pray. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Speak it back to him. And fifth, practice it. Practice it. God wants you, if there's an encouragement, you know, receive it. If there's a warning, you know, heed that warning. If there's a command, like, find out how to put that into practice. I was meeting with a couple just this last week, and man, she's grown up in the church her whole life, and as I meet with her, I hadn't seen her in years, and she's going through some relational stuff, and man, she's living, you guys, way over here outside of God's Word, and yet as I talk to her, she's convinced she's in the will of God. Like, she's convinced that she's living rightly. The only way that's possible, guys, she doesn't read her Bible and she doesn't practice it. She's not living under the authority of it. This is Zachariah's message to us. Return. Don't be like your forefathers. Return to the word. Recommit yourself afresh to live under the authority of God's word. The glory days are not over, you guys. God's spirit's with us. His glory's coming. Recommit yourself to his word. Let's pray.